0: forward slash give thanks for listening and god bless
1: our passage today comes from acts 9 1 through 22 from the common english bible meanwhile saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the lord's disciples he went to the high priest seeking letters to the synagogues in damascus if he found persons who belonged to the way whether men or women, these letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey, he, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice, but saw no one. After they picked Saul up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. So so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and neither ate nor drank anything. In Damascus there was a certain disciple named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. "'Ananias!' he answered, "'Yes, Lord!' The Lord instructed him, "'Go to Judas's house on Straight Street "'and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. "'He is praying. "'In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias enter "'and put his hands on him to restore his sight. "'Ananias countered, "'Lord, I have heard many reports about this man. "'People say he has done horrible things to your holy people in Jerusalem.' He's here with authority from the chief priests to arrest everyone who calls on your name. The Lord replied, Go, this man is the agent I have chosen to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias went to the house. He placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me. Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you were coming here. He sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, flakes fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After eating, he regained his strength. He stayed with the disciples in Damascus for several days. Right away, he began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues. He is God's son, he declared. Everyone who heard him was baffled. They questioned each other. Isn't he the one who was wreaking havoc among those in Jerusalem who called on this name? Hadn't he come here to take those same people as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and stronger. He confused the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. May God bless our hearing and understanding of this scripture.
0: Please join with me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for gathering us here in this space to experience you, encounter you. We pray that you would meet us here, that you would help us to, to in fact, experience and encounter you in a new and powerful way. So we ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds, open us up to, to know you in a new way, to know you even in an old way, but to meet you in ways refresh our spirit not just for today or even just this week but for this journey that you created and called us to to walk not alone but together come Holy Spirit open our eyes open us up to you in Jesus name we pray amen so a couple of weeks ago we finished up our six week starting point small group this group is an opportunity for folks to kind of get to know a little bit more about how we understand and approach the Christian faith at Urban Village, as well as get to know one another. We unpack and re-examine some of the core beliefs like grace, salvation, sin, etc. One of the last topics we talk about is the importance of Christian community. At one point, we took some time to share with a partner about the impact of Christian community and what it, kind of what it has been on our own lives. And as it turns out, my partner was Katie and she shared with me a little about the value of the small group she was part of in Pittsburgh, which was what ended up um, leading me to invite her to share testimony with us this morning. When Katie turned and asked me about my experiences, I shared about a couple of different intentional communities that I was part of in college and the folks I'd come to know so well in seminary. But since then, it's been kind of hard for me to make, to find friends at least, and to make friends, good friends. Normally I would go to church. but. Well that's a little complicated now, right? The irony is that one of the reasons I was drawn to ministry was to help create the opportunity for folks to experience the kind of Christian community that had made such an impact on my life. But now I've sort of painted myself into a corner. And then Katie said something to me that felt very compassionate in the moment. She said, gee, you know, I never really thought about how pastors might feel lonely. And it's true. Loneliness is part of the job. But really having friends and building friendships can be tough no matter what your profession. Once you're out of school, or if you've relocated to a new city, or if you've simply changed so much that you've kind of like grown out of your friends, right? It can be hard to know how to connect with people. How do you find friends as an adult? Work, meet up, Tinder? I've heard it's a thing. What about God? Our passage this morning is sort of like a tale of two very unlikely friends. First, there's Saul. I've talked about him in the past. He grew up with all kinds of privilege, a great education, good pedigree, perfect credentials. He was even a Roman citizen, which kind of gave him some extra juice, right? He was also a terrorist, as it turns out, overseeing violent mobs and public shaming followers of Jesus. And I wonder, here is this guy who is clearly intelligent, part of the upper echelons of Jewish leadership, how did he come to learn so much hate? Maybe it was his Sabbath school teachers or his parents or maybe even the general toxicity of the times. I mean, crucifixion was a thing, right? Somewhere along the way, Saul decided that following God and enforcing God's rule was best accomplished through mob violence and public humiliation. Or maybe, It came from a place of deep devotion, so devoted that Saul dedicated all that he had to pursuing God, his intellect, his charisma, his strength of speech, his power and privilege, everything poured out for the God that he loved. Maybe it became kind of his life's mission to help other Jews know that God, follow that God, and love that God as much as he did. And as he grew in his authority and influence, maybe so did his intensity. So dedicated. He dedicated himself to the task of of protecting the faith, of preserving the faith, of keeping it pure. Can you see where I'm going? And He spins and he spins and he spins in his head. Yes, yes, he says. This is for the God that I love, for the tradition that I love. This is good and pure and right and true, thinking this all while he watches over group killings of young followers of Jesus. Gathering open-ended arrest warrants for people whose faces he's never seen. Stories he doesn't know. All in the name of God. Somewhere along the way for Saul, hatred and violence became not only a way of life, it became a way of love. It became the way he loved his God. It had warped his mind and twisted his spirit. He was spinning and reeling and racing down that road to Damascus, bloodthirsty and confused and so very, very sure of himself. He had gone in so deep that he couldn't find his way out. And God saw him unraveling, twisting, twisting the law, twisting his mind, making his faith an ugly and violent weapon. Something had to give, and so something gave. And God, the God he loves, the God he's been fighting for, the God he's been serving, his God, stops him in his bloodthirsty tracks and turns his mind inside out, or maybe right side in. So that's Saul. Meanwhile, there's Ananias, right? There isn't much um, that we know about him in this passage. Ananias knew Saul by reputation and was not that excited about crossing paths with him. But we see that while his fear was real, his faith was even more real. So in spite of his reservations, when God calls, Ananias goes. Later on, actually, um, in chapter 22, Saul recalls this encounter. He says there was a certain man named Ananias According to the standards of the law, he was a pious man who enjoyed the respect of all the Jews living there. He came and stood beside me. Brother Saul, he said, receive your sight, he said. Instantly, I regained my sight, and I could see see him. And he said, and Ananias said, the God of our ancestors has selected you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear his voice. You will be his witness to everyone concerning what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins as you call on his name. We learn a lot about Ananias from this short paragraph, from from Saul's recalling this experience, right? We learn that he was a devout follower of the way, and in spite of that, Ananias was still respected by all the Jews. So even though his beliefs had sort of diverged, right, he was still respected by other Jews. That says, I think, something about his character, about how he lived his faith, the same faith that brought him to Saul, a faith that took shape in three very important ways in this conversation. The first is presence. It seems like a simple thing. He came and stood beside me. That's the way Saul put it, a quiet move to connect, no words, And then, but then, belonging. Ananias says, brother Saul, receive your sight. So we knew that Ananias was apprehensive about meeting Saul, and yet, because God said go, Ananias goes, and not just going, but with love and with an expectation of relationship. Brother Saul are the first words out of his mouth. Because of the God they both know, even though Ananias is not sure how this is going to play out, Saul his brother. And finally, purpose. Saul has a purpose. And Ananias speaks that purpose, replacing this vision of hatred and pain with a new vision of sharing God's love in a different way, of taking that charisma, of taking that intellect, taking all those gifts of authority and leadership that Saul has, redirecting them, casting a new vision for who Saul can be, You know, you never hear Saul, who's later known as Paul, in case people are confused, you never hear him talk about his past, except to say that he was a Jew among Jews, highly regarded and well-educated. But you never hear him, you never hear him talk about a community that nurtured him or cared for him. You never hear him even talk about his parents, right? No Sabbath school teachers who loved him, no community that cared for him. So, you know, these are Christian scriptures, right? So there's probably a little slant in the way the story's written. But here's the thing. It seems like no one fought for Saul. No one said, hey, Saul, are you okay? No one said, all right, okay, you changed your stance. It's kind of crazy. It feels a little flip-floppy. But I still care about you. I still want you to be in my life. He never talks about any of that. They just cut him off. They just cut them off. Have you ever had that feeling, where you've tried and committed, and when push came to shove, no one fought for you? No one even seemed to miss you when you left. I know I have. The way it cuts your knees out from under you, takes your breath away, and just leaves you flat, not as sharp as betrayal, just kind of a dull feeling empty and alone. Saul was raised up, swept up in a bloodthirsty cause that was also, as it turns out, thirsty for his blood. It wanted to consume him from the inside out or later on after he uh, converted from the outside in. That's what hatred does. It kills the hated and the haters. Saul's God, our God, saved him not just by taking him out of the mental fracture of hatred, but by placing him in loving, welcoming, restoring space of community. Saul was ultimately all alone until someone took the risk to come and stand beside him, until someone took the risk to step in and call him brother and speak possibility into his life. Have you ever risked reaching out to connect with someone? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Have you ever, uh, has someone ever risked reaching out to connect with you? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And it feels riskier as we get older, doesn't it? It gets harder once you're out of school or if you've relocated to a new city or you've grown out of your friends. It can be hard to know how to connect with people, really. I'm not talking about Facebook friends or Instagram followers. I'm talking about real friends. Friends who are present, right? Friends who help you feel like you belong. Friends who speak purpose into your life. Sometimes it feel like, feels like it would actually just be easier to stop trying so hard. Stop trying to reach out. Stop exposing yourself to getting getting dismissed or ignored. And it doesn't help that our society is set up like that, right? To not try, to stay isolated, to back ourselves into corners of loneliness and find kind of um, uh, false ways to feel connected to people. But here's the thing, loneliness is a problem, like really, a real problem. Studies are revealing that loneliness has become even almost a public health hazard. It's not only a mental health issue, as if that weren't enough, right? But it's actually a physiological issue. Studies have found that social isolation turns up the activity of genes that are responsible for inflammation and turns down the activity that produces antibodies to fight infection. It's physiological, too. And on top of that, the sense of loneliness creates is not all that different from the feeling of hunger psychologically, and that puts your body into a feeling of threat. And that makes you act more negatively toward people, defensive, when you're, when you're feeling a threat, right? Which makes it all that harder to begin a new relationship. We need to be in relationships and we need to feel like we belong, but then we sort of sabotage it at the same time. You follow me? How do we get out of this cycle? How did Saul get out of it? How did he get himself out of that mental death spiral? God. Maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, okay. If God strikes me blind on the road, well, maybe that'll get me out of the cycle, right? But listen, Saul, for better or worse, and mostly worse, actually, was trying to live out his faith. He was hardcore. He was ride or die, right? He was pursuing God. He was doing it all wrong, but he was pursuing God. And this means that he was opening himself up to God's unexpected activity. Are you opening yourself? Are you positioning yourself for God's unexpected activity? Are you? If it was not about God, if it was actually about him, if all this was an ego trip, right? Saul would not have changed so quickly. He would have fought it. And he he wouldn't have opened himself to it. But he didn't. He did open himself to it. He didn't fight it. And that's what makes his faith real. His faith was real, and Ananias' faith was real. Who knows really fully what Ananias' story is? Maybe he had been through some stuff. And God knew that Ananias was the right one, the right one to walk with Saul, that he wouldn't be judgmental, that he was experienced enough in his own stuff, right, to hold the pain and the chaos of where Saul was and journey with him through it. We don't know the full story of Ananias, but what we do know is that Ananias also opened himself to God's unexpected, unpredictable work, and it changed the direction of Saul's life. How can we open ourselves how can we open ourselves to God's unpredictable work? So I recently came across a story about this thing called a buddy bench.
1: What's a buddy bench? It's where if you don't if you can't find your best friends and you don't know where to go play. Um, you sit on a buddy bench and somebody will come find you and they'll include you in your game. So what did you think when you saw me here sitting by myself? What did you think? Um, to come sit with you. You wanted to be my friend? Yes. Have you ever sat on the buddy bench waiting for somebody to play with you? Yes. And And how long did it take before somebody came and asked you to play? Um, a minute. You can find friends easily. Um, when you're lonely and you have like you don't have anyone to play with at recess. Have you ever sat on the buddy
0: bench waiting for someone to play?
1: Yeah. Since we installed them, uh, before I've seen people uh, walking around by themselves, and then once we got these, I've uh, seen a lot of people, a lot more people with uh, friends to play with. Everybody crowd in. I'm ready? Oh. oh a buddy. This buddy bench, okay, right? Buddy?
0: I want you all to think of these seats in here as a buddy bench, okay? This past week, I've had conversations with three different people who felt like they didn't fit in at UBC, that they didn't belong. A lot of people in this room are really struggling. I know a lot of people in this room are really struggling to keep their heads above water, struggling to believe that they matter in some way, that they're not alone, Look, we're all here seeking connection of some kind. The truth is, everyone is here, everyone is here, because they want to connect somehow. And maybe you're talking, thinking to yourself, Pastor Emily, you are a dirty rotten liar, right? I'm here for the food, (laughs) or I'm just here for the music. Well, you know what, I don't believe you. You can get food at McDonald's, and you can get music on iTunes, okay? You are here to connect whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, you are here to connect, we are here to connect, okay? Okay, and that's good, that's right, don't be embarrassed about it, that's healthy. But the only way it's gonna happen is if we trust the God we know and reach out and take the risk to connect in real Christian ways. And that means real relationships, relationships kind of like the one that Saul and Ananias had, relationships that offer presence, that help you know you belong, that speak purpose. That means relationships where you are doing those things too, and others are doing them for you as well. It's reciprocal, get it? Those are Christian, that's the shape of a Christian relationship, okay? This is not, this is not a play, this is not a concert. This is a place for connection, okay? We don't, you know, I'm tired of people coming in, and I'm talking about you, this is you. 10 minutes late, and leaving immediately after the service, and never talking to anyone. That's not church. That's a movie. That's a TED Talk, okay? We're not here for TED Talks. I'm not that good. (laughs) Those are, we're here for Christian relationships, okay? I have hundreds of Facebook friends. This is not a humble brag. I have hundreds of Facebook friends. I have hundreds of Twitter followers, but I only have a few real Christian friends, okay? We need that. And we have a model of it right here in our scripture because Saul chose to risk, because Ananias chose to risk. They were both changed. They stepped out. They put, they put it on the line. And not only them, but the very shape of Christianity was changed. Without their trust and risk, the gospel of Jesus would not have spread the way that it did beyond that little corner of the world. Paul wrote, for the most part, and definitely influenced, the rest of the New Testament. All because of two people who are willing to risk and trust stepping into a new relationship. Give it a try. The God who loves you and will never give up on you. The God who does not seek your demise. The God who seeks your fullness and flourishing, who created you not just to flourish in a bubble, but with other people. And that, that flourishing depends on other people. That God wants you to be in relationships with people, real relationships. Take the risk and start a conversation with someone you don't know here. No one feels like they belong. That means everyone belongs, okay? You all have something in common. You just never know what God might do. Let us pray. God, help us, help us to have courage to connect. Help us to see not just the things that are on the outside, but to have your eyes, to see one another with what you see, people who want to connect, people who are flawed, who may hurt us, who we may hurt, but who want to love and want to know love in a deeper, more real, more Christian way. Help us to develop Christian relationships, God, because we know that if we can't do that here, where can we do it? Help us to see one another on the buddy bench. Help us to reach out, connect, to be present for one another, to speak your belonging, that they belong, that we belong, and to speak your purpose into one another's lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.